one of our favorite topics. Politics, money, those kinds of things. As, as I was uh, recovering this week and giving some thought to the sermon today, I, I wanted to give you some of the, the modern thoughts, the modern poets and the modern philosophers of our day. And, uh, you know, it's not Aristotle and it's not Keats or Keats. It's, um, these days, it's probably the songwriters. Uh, way back in the day, and those of you that are a little bit older, my age or, or around my age, will remember Eliza Minnelli in the movie Cabaret. And they do this bit in the, in the movie. And the theme of the song is that money makes the world go round. And for those of you that uh, saw that way back in the day, I'm guessing the 70s, you'll remember that. Uh, Topol. I saw Fiddler on the Roof in a movie theater years and years and years ago when I was probably in my 20s and loved the movie. And if it ever comes on TV, if I ever see it, I DVR it, and I love to watch the movie. I'm not sure why, but I love the movie. I had uh, no idea that the, the Starsky and Hutch guy would eventually go from that to the Star, Starsky and Hutch TV show. But he sings the famous song, if, or I, if I Were a Rich Man. Of course, ladies, back in those days, not politically correct. And he talks about in that little song about, you know what, it wouldn't be so bad to be rich. You know, it's no crime or shame to be poor. But you know what, it wouldn't be so bad being wealthy. He talks about in the song that when you're wealthy, even if you give bad advice, people still think you're smart because you're wealthy. If you extrapolate that, money makes you smarter. Hey, I'm not saying it's good science or good math. The Beatles, they're conflicted. In one song, they're talking about that they, they want money, and in another song, they sing that money can't buy you love. And Pink Floyd, back in the 70s, says, get away, get a good job, and the more pay, and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. The best things in life are free, but you can tell me about the birds and bees. Now give me money. That's what I want. Money doesn't get everything. It's true, but what I don't get, I can't use. So give me money. That's what I want. If I buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. If you get anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. Because I don't care too much for money, for money can't buy me love. And then to wrap it up, everybody's favorite singer from the 80s, Madonna. Well, our Detroit girl, she's a material girl living in a material world. I know you know it. You want to be holy and you want to make it sound like you don't remember the songs, but you do. Shame on you. It's often our songwriters and our modern poets that crystallize a generation's feeling about money and stuff. However, 
The Bible verse that has often been misquoted in 1 Timothy 6 and 10, I think, gives us a little better, better understanding of what our attitude should be towards the prize, which many people see as the prize money. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. And I left my real glasses at home today. So I've got the cheaters again. So if you're wondering what happened to my good glasses, I just forgot them. 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Turn there. Timothy is part of that chunk of Scripture in your New Testament, the far right-hand side of your Bible that begins with T's. If you find one of the T's, Timothy or Titus, you're in, you're in good zone there. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. I'm just going to deal pretty much with this verse, although there's other things that come before it that talk about this topic. Paul writes to Timothy, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me read it again because it's short. Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, not all people, but some people, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Timothy wants us to understand a few things. Or should I say, Paul writing to Timothy wants us to understand a few things. I think in these days, much like in those days, money was one of those those touchy subjects. We know that in the society in which this letter is written, most people were poor, dirt poor, less than dirt poor because they didn't own any dirt. Most of the people in this society were slaves or some kind of bond servants and were working for wealthy people or were owned by wealthy people. And the church in the first century AD is a reflection of the society in which it grew up in. And so the church had some wealthy people, if you don't believe me about that, one particular church, the First Corinthian church, that issue, that issue is really addressed in First Corinthians chapter 11. But we also know that there were lots of poor people and probably more poor people, many more poor people than wealthy people. And so this letter is written in the context of there is a small percentage of the society that is very wealthy, there is practically no middle class, and most people are very poor. If you thought about that for a little bit, you might say to yourself, why would Paul write something like this to Timothy? Timothy is a younger minister. He's leading a church. It's probably not a very wealthy church because in those days, although there was some wealth in the church, as I said, most people were very poor. Why talk about money? Paul, if you're going to spend some time talking about money, uh, why don't you just talk to rich people? Why don't you just write a book to rich people? and call it, you know, Paul's writing or Paul's letter to the rich people. This is how you ought to deal with your money. But he doesn't do that. 
In all of the teachings that Jesus gives us that are recorded in the Gospels, all of his, his Sermon on the Mount stuff, all of the parables that are illustrated in all of our four Gospels, you will find time and time again that many of them relate to money or to stewardship or to kingdom investment. And you ask yourself, well, why does the New Testament especially spend so much time, whether it's Jesus or whether it's guys like Paul, spend so much time talking about that to a society that was basically dirt poor? And I think the reason is, is because of the hold that money has on us or can have on us, regardless of whether it's the 21st century or it's 21 centuries ago, or perhaps if you want to go way, way back, all the way back into our Old Testament and into the history of Israel. Because we certainly know, like guys like Solomon and that, had lots to say and wrote a lot about the issue of money and wealth and proper stewardship. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, the first principle that the Apostle Paul shares with the younger pastor is this that money isn't the issue. If I were to take time this morning and ask the ladies to dig into their purses and to find your wallets, not your keys, just your wallets. I know what it's like at our house sometimes finding things in a wife's purse. You can be there a while. If I asked the guys to open their wallets, most of us would open them up and we would find in them money, cash, or a debit card, or a credit card, or maybe all three. Some of you may even have this thing, it's on ancient papyrus, it's called a checkbook. So we're all dealing with this every day. We're talking about it every day. We're paying bills and we're earning our wages. We're saving or we're investing or we're giving money to our kids or whatever the story is. This is, this is part of our everyday life. Well, if it's part of our everyday life, then it's probably good for you to have a, a really good uh, biblical background and perspective and understanding of uh, what the Bible says about this important stuff. As a Christ follower, this should matter to you. Not only that, but again, as a side issue, but we want to keep this in front of you. The reason why we're doing the small group balance and dealing with uh, you know, financial balance in our lives, the reason why we're talking about this now is through our EGC Forward Committee studies, one of the things that we found out is the congregation said that these kinds of topics need to be addressed and help needs to be offered to some of our families because finances, struggle, or debt, or stewardship is a real issue and a real concern. And so we want to make sure that we're addressing some of the things that matter to you and that hit you right where you live Monday to Sunday. So Paul says to Timothy, money isn't the problem. It's a good translation in the New International Version that it says the issue is the love of money. And the love of money isn't income directed. In other words, it isn't about, well, rich people have a lot of money, so the issue is theirs. This is written to rich people, because rich people love money. 
No, I think you know from experience and I know from experience that the love of money isn't a rich person's problem. It's an anybody's problem. Whether you have a little or have enough or have more than enough or have way more than enough, money can become an idol in the life of a Christ follower. And that's the issue really here. The nuts and bolts issue that, that Paul is dealing with here is, is idolatry. It is. That's why last week I began reminding you that who owns us? Oh, that was so weak. Thank you, though, Donna. You did a really good job. I mean, I realize the numbers are down because of the roads, but who owns us? Thank you, Donna. You're still the strongest. And who owns our stuff? Yes. God owns us, and God owns our stuff. And so if we take that approach to everything that we have, including our money, that God owns us and God owns our stuff, and the Bible clearly states that in Job 40, and again in 1 Chronicles, I, I read that to you, and then again I, I read some more in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God owns us and God owns our stuff. So that way we should not get too attached to it or allow it to become attached to us that it becomes an idol because it's not ours in the first place. I was watching a show on TV the other day. Um, it was an auction of these really nice cars. It's on one of the cable channels. Just came across it. Wow. Selling a lot of stuff from the 50s and the 60s, you know, like, like when cars were cars. And uh, I'm sitting there watching this. Karen's off, you know, she's there, but, you know, it's a car show, so she's there for me, but not really into it. And I'm talking to her like she's into it. You know what that's like, eh, guys? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know, I just keep doing this. Wow, wow, wow. And I'm a minimalist with those kinds of things. I think sometimes the less these guys and gals do to their cars, the better it is. And some of these things were just absolutely gorgeous. And I don't know how many inches of paint some of them had on it, but it just listened. And this 1969 muscle car goes for 120000 Now remember, U.S. dollars. And I'm like, and I'm envying through the TV screen. Because I got a 2009 journey. And in the last couple of months, I've started it up. It sounds a little angry. Just got a little bit more of a grit to it than it used to. And I looked at the odometer, and it's a bright, shiny 281,000 clicks. But the engine light's still not on. Where's Lawrence? Thank you, Lawrence. And I'm looking at that 120K. <sighs> Sweet. Nice. But it's somebody else's car. So it's not really a big deal, right? I mean, other than I just coveted it in front of my church for five minutes. It, it, it's not really, I mean, it's not really an idol. I look at it, I watch it on TV, and it's like, wow, you know, it must be nice to have stuff like that driver. I mean, you know, not in this climate, but I could see myself driving through the streets of Tampa with that car. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think it would handle too well on our roads right now. So the love 
The love of something is the problem. When it becomes an idol, it's a problem. And so Paul says to Timothy, when you're teaching this to your church, understand this, money isn't the issue. I know that you've got big income diversity in your church, probably a very small, wealthy, wealthy group, a tiny wee bit of a middle class, and then a whole lot of people at the other end, probably 85 or 90% of your church that's working for somebody or owned by somebody. But we can all have the problem of creating money as an idol in our lives. And the Bible warns us clearly, Jesus warns us clearly that you can't serve two masters. It's one or the other. None of us have room in our heart to serve two masters. You may have a big heart. You may have even been told by people, you got a really big heart. Well, your heart is not so big that you can worship God and money. It's one or the other, the Bible tells us. And so it is not money that's the issue. Money is not the root of all evil. In fact, in a few minutes, I'm going to explain to you how money can be a very good thing in kingdom hands. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So money isn't good or bad. In a sense, money is amoral. It's how we use it. Our biggest issue, to put it quickly and simply, is our attitude towards money with it or without it. But don't simply think that money is bad and we shouldn't want it, spend it, invest it, or talk about it. Because some of you may be tempted to send Adam an email and say to Adam, Adam, you should tell Brent that he shouldn't do a six-week series on this because that's not something we really want to talk about in church. Thank you, Adam. But Jesus and Paul are very comfortable in talking about it, as are many Old Testament writers. So... We're going to talk about it. In many ways, the lyrics in the movie from Cabaret are right. Money does seem to make the world go round. So let's see the wise use of money as a gift. It doesn't matter as much if, if you have lots, enough, or a little. Our attitude towards money will likely shape how we work, how we think, and how we exercise our faith. Again, money itself is not evil. So he moves us on in the text in, in first Corinth, uh, pardon me, in first Timothy chapter six. And he says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so there's the blanket statement. It's the root of all kinds of evil. So the pursuit of money, not money itself, but the pursuit or the misuse of money has created all kinds of problems for people. And he's not talking about corporations in those days, right? Because there wasn't corporations in those days. Well, there was one. It's called the Roman Empire. One really big one. And just like all empires, absolutely and completely corrupt. The Caesars in those days heavily taxed what they couldn't pillage from their conquered enemies heavily taxed their citizens. Thus, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem is just part of the machinery of financing the empire because Caesar had to keep the officials in line through bribes, through land grants, uh, those kinds of things. He had to continue to encourage his generals to keep fighting through land and, and through bribes, through wealth gained in the booty, so to speak. And there was a machine created by the Roman Empire that had to be fed. 
And of course, you can't ask the rich to give their share. Pardon me while I get all socialist on you. Um, it's, we're going to get the people to give because there's a whole lot of them, even though they don't have much. But because there's so many of them, if we tax them as much as we think we can get away with, then we'll be able to feed our coffers. Let's remember why Israel split into the northern and the southern kingdom. The issue was taxes. Let's see if we can just get a little bit more out of them. And the older advisors, the guys with gray hair, said, don't do that. Don't do that, king. And the young guys come along. Yeah, you can do that. You can keep going. You can keep going. And they tax them more. And the empire, the kingdom of Israel, split. But there was no institution back then other than the empire itself. But there's, there's issues that can happen. And so he addresses the people's issues here. And he says, it's the root of many kinds of evil. A blanket statement really doesn't define it. But as he goes on, he talks about the implications towards people of faith. Look, folks, I'm not interested in, in addressing people who are not people of faith. Look, let's be frank. People of faith, people who call Jesus Lord are having a hard time with the first principle that I taught you last week. That Jesus owns me, and Jesus owns all my stuff. It, it, it would not have surprised me if some people went home after last Sunday's message going, hmm, well, I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure my stuff's my stuff. And so people of faith struggle with that. So let's, let's not try to convince unsaved people that Jesus owns their stuff. Paul isn't trying to do that, nor is Timothy. He's talking to the church folk. And he says, some people in the pursuit of money, some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now I'm going to get to that. But that's the negative aspect. But let me fill in my own stuff, if you wouldn't mind. Timothy, Paul. Timothy's reading this. Paul doesn't address the good things money can do. And there are many, wouldn't you say? How many of you are wearing clothes this morning? Money's a good thing. How many of you got here in a vehicle of some kind? Money's a good thing. How many of you live in something other than a tent? Money's a good thing. How's your fridge looking on the inside? Money's a good thing. I think many of you know I've, I've had some gallbladder issues recently. Oh, I miss food. <laughs> I had a drop of cream in my tea this morning. Mm. It was so good supposed to stay away from dairy but I just thought just a pinch almost good so my wife and, and my loving family are in Chatham Karen's often in Chatham helping with the grandkids and my son Mitch texts me while I'm you know not feeling good hey dad we just want you to know that we enjoyed the wings and pizza that mom and nan bought for us tonight what did you have 
I had white rice and vegetables. Mmm. This mass needs way more fuel than that. Money's a good thing. It socks the fridge. Any of you been on a vacation ever in your life? Hand up. I mean, an airplane got you there, or a car got you there, or a train got you there, but money got you there. Paid for your kid's education or paid for your own education? Yeah. A wedding? Yeah. Money did that, right? I mean, oh, and let's talk about the other thing. And all the good kingdom things that happen through the work of the church. Money did all of that. You can't get around it. You can't not talk about it. We have to. So Paul doesn't address that, but money does a lot of good things. So rather than just talk about money as being the roots of all kinds of evil, and, and there's all kinds of bad stuff, and don't worry, I'll scare you in a minute. We should understand and appreciate the good that money can do. It takes care of our families. And we're given biblical mandates. Look with this. This is, again, in 1 Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, anyone who doesn't provide for the relatives... and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. We have a responsibility to assist the poor. Proverbs 19 and 17. And on this one, I just picked one. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for the deed. Man, I tell you. You know, your GIC or your shares may be giving you a decent return on your investment. I'm not sure, but I can imagine that the bank of Jesus does really well. So I'd love to lend to Jesus, understanding that he's going to repay me for my deed. It may not come in money, but it's going to come in some really wonderful way. Jesus says this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Again, the emphasis on kingdom investment, which again is what your, your church is concerned about. But let me be practical to you. As leadership, we are first of all concerned about our own finances. Karen and I talk about this stuff all of the time. We're at an age that, uh, you know, you got it. We're, we're getting ready for the, for the wind down in, in uh, five or six years. So, you know, we're, we're talking about that. We've gone through helping kids pay their education and, and doing those kinds of things, right? You've been through some of that stuff. Or some of you are at the early end and you're paying for education or you're thinking about your first home or you're thinking about paying off your student debt or, you, you know, you're thinking about saving up for a trip or, or something, right? I mean, this stuff, again, is going on in our lives all of the time at some level, at some aspect here or there. And, and we recognize that if you use money properly, it really can be a blessing to you. And as leadership, we want you to be blessed. I mean, there's nothing, there's probably few things that you can do better for your own emotional and spiritual and physical well-being than care for your finances properly. Those of us that have been in debt or those of us that have been in extreme debt understand the physical emotional and spiritual toll that takes on you to the point where it can literally make you sick you can worry yourself to death if i'm not overstating it too much and some of us it hasn't necessarily been because of carelessness 
Some of us spend too much. We spend more than we make, and we're digging ourselves a really big hole, and it's going to take a while and a pretty big shovel to get us out. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. Others, you had a company, or the economy went south, and uh, none of it was really your, your doing, but nonetheless, you felt the reverberations, the deep reverberations of what took place. And you find yourself in a or found yourself in a financial position that you never thought would come upon you. And I mean, yeah, you had money put away, but you never saw this coming. This was more than a rainy day. So the leadership wants you to have the joy of being financially responsible and blessed. Just for your own well-being and just for your own family. Trust me, as, as a father and a grandfather, I love that we have the options to bless our kids financially when needs arise. That wasn't always the case. Others blessed us when needs arose. But, but we're at a stage of life now where, where we can do that. And, and one of the things I like about money is it presents options. I can save some. I can, you know, invest some in the kingdom. I can spend some on family or those that are in need. I can go on a trip to Florida. There's options. I can do those things or I can do none of those things. Now, hopefully that's not the case. But I've got options. But when we're flat, busted, and broke or in debt, here's your options. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we don't want you to be in that position. That's not good for you. Never mind that's not good for the church. That's not good for you. That's not good for you walking through the door on Sunday and taking a pew and being able to enjoy the fellowship and enjoy the spirit of the Lord and enjoy when you're going to work or enjoy when you're just hanging out with friends, that you don't have this burden hanging over you. As leadership, we don't want that on you. We don't want that yoke of bondage on you. Now, again, I'm going to get into that aspect of it deeper in weeks to come, but we don't want that for you. Because I know, look, folks, I know that there's a part of us that always says this. Well, the reason why the church is doing this is, is the church is planning something, and so the church is just trying to get us all financially our house in order in order to do that so we can ask for more. And that's cynical, and it's partially true. I'm not going to stand in front of you on a Sunday and lie to you. That's stupid, sinful. But you can't give unless there are options. You can't give unless your house is in order. You can't bless unless your house is in order. You can't pay bills unless your house is in order. And there's enough people in this room who have experienced enough, not necessarily this week or this month or this year, but through your life, including us. We know what it's like sometimes to be on the other side. It's a long time ago, and it doesn't sound like a lot of money now, but when we came here in 1999, we sold our house in Subri for less than we paid for it. Not only less than we paid for it, but we had a, a reasonable down payment when we did that. And we lost the down payment, and we came out of that $17,000 in debt to come here. I know you're glad we came, though. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. And Karen will tell you that there were nights that I lost some sleep because we had never been in debt before. 
You know, we had maybe had a balance on a credit card hang on for a couple of months, but we had never been in debt. And I wasn't very comfortable in that suit. So I'm not talking hypothetically here. I get it. Been there. So this is kind of another sermon. I tell you, one of the things that we did, we have tried to put the fear of God in our kids about improper use of credit and buying smart and saving. I, I drilled it into my kid's head. When they started earning an income, I don't care if it's $25 a week, but you start learning to save, you start learning to put stuff away from you. At the same time, we, we taught them to invest in the kingdom too. And we warned them about easy credit. Because it becomes bondage. And the Lord doesn't want you in any kind of bondage at all. That's all satanic. If it's bondage, it's satanic. And we don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. Financial freedom, liberty, options is a wonderful place to live. It's nice to go to bed at night not worrying about tomorrow or next week or next month, as much as it depends on us. Because let's face it, we don't control the big picture. But money can do a lot of great things. I think about the missionaries that you support. I think about the chart that I put up in December, in early December, about all of the different charities, godly charities, that are helping you know, unmarried women. Uh, with, with babies that are helping people that, that are hungry, helping kids that are hungry. I think about all of the stuff that we've been doing, the kingdom stuff that we've been doing, and I think, isn't it amazing the good that money can do? You're going to do your income taxes pretty soon. I just pulled out my folder, and I've just been going through some of my stuff, uh, trying to gather all of my you know, charitable receipts because you know sometimes they mail them to you now, and sometimes you've got to go online and get them. And I looked through that, and it occurred to me when I was doing that, the good that our giving is doing. And you should recognize that as well. Don't look at it as, oh, I'm going to get a good tax deduction because I supported the church, and I supported this, and I supported that. Stop and and put your hand on that sheet of paper and say, God, I pray that you continue to bless the good that this money was meant for in the first place. And not just that I'm going to get a good refund this year. Hallelujah. And maybe when you do get your good refund... Sometimes it's what you don't say that hits hardest. But let's look about the problems. I know it's, uh, it's past uh, 11 to 58, but don't worry. The next 10 minutes will seem like three. <laughs> Be aware. Be aware at the love of money and the traps it could present. Paul says this, some eager for money have wandered from the faith. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine this. Some people in their pursuit and their love of money have wandered from the faith. Really? But then I think about the age in which we live, right? There's a lot of Christians out there that believe that God died on the cross for you so you could be rich. And if you're not rich, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. You're just not doing something right. That may preach well in North America. It might even preach well in Eastern Europe. Try that in Lesotho. See if the gospel, that gospel works there. If the gospel doesn't work anywhere, everywhere, it's not a gospel. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Sad but true. People sometimes lose their minds and their assets and their faith foolishly chasing the get-rich scheme. There's been all kinds of them. You remember in the 2000s, again, a little bit now, but earlier in the 2000s, all the Ponzi stuff, right? These guys and gals are promising you un unequaled, uncharted interest if you'll give them your money, right? And they're going to give it back to you like 30, 60, and 100 fold, right? And people, smart people, wealthy people, and sometimes smart and unwealthy people, and sometimes just plain dumb people, give these guys and gals thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars because they're told at the bank or through their shares they're going to get 4 or 5%, but these guys are going to give you 30 or 40, or they're even outrageous enough to say they're going to they're double it for you. And if you're eager to get rich, you drink that stuff down, man. The Kool-Aid tastes good. Why? Because you're clouded by your greed. If you took a moment to think in the real world, does that kind of return happen in the real world anywhere on the planet? And the answer is generally almost always, no, of course not. People sometimes lose their faith. Easy money, quick money, and people will sometimes give what little they have to think that they'll get a whole lot more to the point where they've wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. This is why it's good for you to remember, God owns you, God owns your stuff. Be careful about serving money because you can't serve money in God. Your heart isn't big enough to do both. You will serve one and hate the other. So use money wisely, spend money wisely, save and invest money wisely. But make sure, folks, it never captures your heart because it'll kill you to the point of wandering from the faith. Never mind the financial and the emotional toll that greed has on them. It actually leads them to wandering from their Lord, the one who suffered, bled, and died for them. Again, Matthew 5 and 48 says we cannot serve two masters. Earlier in 1 Timothy 6, it tells us that some think that the pursuit of godliness leads to becoming rich. They chase the money. They chase the money because they think somehow or another that's going to enhance their spiritual life. The pursuit of godliness leads to becoming rich. I mean, here's what I want my pursuit of godliness to do for me. I want me to be more like Jesus. FYI, he was not a wealthy man. Just putting that out there for you. The goal for these people who are pursuing godliness with the goal of becoming rich is not to be like Jesus or to give like Jesus, who, by the way, said it's better to give than receive. Their goals is the comfort of their own life. If they get rich or they get wealthy or they have enough or they have more than enough, many of these people forget God and the poor. And if they don't get rich... They dispose of their faith because it isn't any good to them anyways, at least not as a means to garnering wealth. And we know that in recent times, in the last 40, 50 years of the church, 
from the 70s until now, the pursuit of wealth for many in the church has become their number one goal, not God himself. So let me wrap it up. See, just feels like a couple of minutes. It's the love of money that is the root of many kinds of evil. It's not money itself. The love of money presents many kinds of distractions and traps for us as it relates to our faith with Jesus Christ and has the potential to become an idol in our life. But we recognize also the good that money can do. So we want to be good stewards. If God blesses us financially, though, we want to be a river or a conduit in order to invest in kingdom things and not just feather our own nest. God knows you have a nest. And God knows that you need to take care of yourselves. And God is not opposed to that. But God wants you to make sure that he is your number one love and that you're willing to use the things for which he has placed you as stewards responsibly so that kingdom priorities get cared for. Weeks to come, I'm going to pursue other aspects of financial and spiritual health. But for today, let me challenge you to do this. Number one, personally prioritize kingdom priorities. What do you want to be investing in? Obviously your church and the things that your church does. But there may be some other things as well. Earn and spend on your legitimate needs now and in the future. There's nothing wrong with that, folks. Earn and spend on your legitimate needs now and in the future. That's okay. That's not sinful. That's not carnal. Understand this. God doesn't even mind if you spend some of this on pleasure. The Bible clearly dictates to us that God gives us the desires of our heart. And if the desires of our heart are appropriate, God will bless that. And, and, and God doesn't mind if, if you take care of yourself and do some things for yourself. God, God isn't hung up on that. It's the balance. But the question that we're going to answer for you in the future is, okay, pastor, I understand that. I understand prioritizing kingdom principles. I understand that I need to earn and spend on my legitimate needs. I need to understand, and I, and I do, that pleasure is good and spending a little on me, myself, and I, is that's okay to a point. But the question then becomes this. Not answering it for you today. Just want to put it out there, tease you a little bit, and come back to it. But how much? How much is enough? How much is too much? How much is not enough? And the Bible is great because the Bible speaks to us about these things. And I'll address them next week.